Dose of Leadership Podcast, episode 203. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to the show. Richard Ryerson here. Thanks, as always, for tuning into the show. This is the show where we talk about leadership. You know, a lot of times people think this is a business podcast, and I suppose it is, but it really is a lifestyle podcast. It's about how to become a better leader, because whether you like it or not, or whether you know it or not, we're all called to leadership at some time in our life. And remember, somebody right now, no matter if you have the position or if you have the title, somebody right now is looking to you for influence and guidance. Never forget that. And so it's in our best interest that we learn and all what it takes to become a better leader. And that's what the show is all about. Try to highlight those individuals who are shining a light in the world and making a difference, especially in the leadership front. And uh, my guest today is no exception. He fits that example to the T. He's Kamanzi Constable. And I met him, well, probably seven months ago online when his good friend Jared Easley interviewed me for Jared's podcast, Starve the Doubts. A great podcast, by the way, which you should check out if you haven't done so already. And Kamanzi is uh, has a great story, and you'll hear all about it. You know, just a few years ago, 2011, he was $180,000 in debt, and he was overweight. His marriage was literally falling apart. And, you know, I've always said on this show, or maybe you've heard me say it before, that we are always one decision away from radically changing our life. And Kamanzi is a, is a perfect or an excellent example of that truth. And at one day, he just stopped you know, he got tired of just existing, as he put it, and he wanted to to live a full life. And uh, he'll talk about it in the show. Uh, I just think he's a great inspiration. He's a great leader in his own right. He's a perfect example where leadership really does begin with yourself, because that is the hardest and the most challenging aspect of leadership, of leading yourself. And he's living that every day. And he talks about his struggles. He talks about some of his successes. You can see him in, when he writes for the Huffington Post, for Entrepreneur. He just got a a book deal and some of the books come out. We'll talk all about it in this show. I just think he's a great source of inspiration. He's a great, uh, the perfect example, the person we need to highlight more on Dose of Leadership. And I hope you enjoy this interview. Here's Kamanzi Constable on Dose of Leadership. All right. Well, Kamanzi, welcome to Dose of Leadership. So glad you're here. Aloha, Richard. Thanks for having me. Aloha. You know, here it is in the middle of winter and you're in Maui of all places. I'm so jealous. I mean, I love the Hawaiian Islands. When I was in the Marine Corps, spent a lot of time on the islands there, primarily Oahu, but we made it to Maui every now and then. How did you uh, find yourself in such a garden spot? <laughs> we came here in 2010 on kind of a belated honeymoon. And as soon as we got off the plane, um, and unless you've been here, you probably couldn't relate to this. I'm guessing Richard could relate to this, but as soon as we got off the plane, we felt something yeah. like, I don't know what you call it, but we felt it. It was just something. It was like something pulling at you and deep inside you. And you just felt different. And we went and we got the rental car. We started driving around Maui and we're looking at the mountains, um, two sets of mountains. And we're looking at the ocean and we're looking at all, everything is green. And this was in April of <laughs> right. 2011. 
Yeah, so April of 2010, and we had just left Wisconsin, which was still, you know, it was it was going to be spring, but it was it was still colder, and there was definitely no green. So it was surreal. And we went throughout that vacation, and we had fun. We had a blast. We stayed at a hotel right by the ocean. Um, it was a great time. But when we got on the plane to come home, we started to kick around the idea. We're like, how cool would it be to retire in Maui? And then we were just laughing back and forth and we got home and we completely forgot about it. Like we got back into normal life and that was it. Um, and it was, it wasn't until like, uh, April of 2012 when my father died, he died at 54 years old and he died suddenly and unexpectedly. And at his funeral, um, was when I was replaying the last conversations that I had with him and what he said to me during those, most of those conversations was that he had so many regrets. He regretted that he wasn't a better father because he wasn't around. He regretted that he didn't become a paramedic because that was always his dream. He regretted that he didn't travel like his father, my grandfather, who spent 10 minutes, uh, 10, 10 months traveling throughout Europe. And my father had all these regrets. And he said, you know, if you can learn anything from my life, learn not to live life with regrets. And after his funeral is when I said, hey, Maui is something that we want to do. Why wait to retire? Why not go there now while we're young and can enjoy it and while the kids are young and they can enjoy it as well? And so we started making plans and it took a long time, Richard. (laughs) It took uh, two years to get everything in place, to sell all of our stuff, to have enough money saved because living here is not cheap at all. And people, people wash out pretty fast here. They come here wanting to move here and they wash out. So we wanted to do it right. We wanted to have enough savings. And so we didn't make the move until April of, of 2014. So four years after we had to come here, we, we made the move. We've been here now for nine months and it's, it's a way better life than we thought it was going to be. Well, that's awesome. You know, and that's what I love about you and, and kind of coming up with uh, having you come on the show because we talk a lot about intentionality. We talk about um, having those big dreams. And I, through a lot of my coaching and doing the show and personally myself, I mean, when you're telling that story about your father, that's probably my biggest fear. I mean, it just seems like time is going so fast. I'm for, I just turned 46, and that is my biggest fear is that I'm going to get through life um, having huge regrets, and I vowed not to do that. I wish I would have started earlier, but I can't do anything about it. But it is it is a fear of mine. And what I love about you is I carry you, you, you decided to do something, you took action. What do you say to all those people out there? And I know there's a ton of them out there who says, yeah, that sounds great, Kamanzi, but you just don't understand my situation. You don't understand what I'm going through. I couldn't do that. You know, what do you say to those people, the naysayers out there, or people who are kind of believing their kind of limiting beliefs? Yeah, there's definitely going to be people in probably pretty hard situations. Um, sometimes life, that's, that just happens in life. You're in a really tough situation, um, something that is probably out of your control. But then there's a whole other group of people, which I was in, so I'm talking to my old self here, that you can do something about it, but you're listening to those self-limited beliefs or negative people or whoever. Um I would tell you that you you have a choice to make. You can decide that you're going to let those self-limiting beliefs win. You're going to decide that you'll let the whatever excuses you're telling yourself win or even uh, circumstances that you can overcome. You, you have a decision to make. 
Um, I'm not sitting here telling you that it's going to happen overnight. It took four years to move here. Um, and I'm not telling you that I'm definitely not telling you it's going to be easy, but I am 100% telling you that it's possible, not just because I'm sitting here talking to Richard or some successful person like Steve Jobs or whoever overcame all these circumstances to do something incredible. It's it's possible for you, wherever you are, no matter what your situation is. If you decide you're going to do something about it, you're going to take action, you're going to uh, do whatever it takes to, to create that freedom, to, to make that dream happen, it is possible for you. And so that's the biggest thing I, I want to tell them is that it's possible. Yeah, I love that. And it is about, and probably the biggest thing that I've found that, that's going to change the trajectory to, sorry, trajectory of my life is this idea that you're talking about here. So kind of suspending the belief on how things are going to get done. Just know they're going to get done. And when you have that mindset, then you start, you know, executing plans, little steps to kind of see it through, right? I mean, am, am I speaking the truth there or not? You, you 100% are speaking the truth. And I think a lot of times, like when people who read my book, uh, Nine Steps to Change Your Life, or when they see uh, a video or a podcast or something, uh, some written material about this kind of stuff, it's like people are looking for what's that hidden secret? What was that one magic silver bullet that they did to get where they're at? And there is no silver bullet. There is no uh, secret right, tip right. or anything like that. It's just consistent action, beating those self-limiting beliefs and consistent action. Oh, I love that you said that. You know, you're, you're a guy that, uh, you know, you've lost 170 pounds. You quit your day job. You moved to, from Wisconsin, like you said, and you're living in Hawaii. You know, what, what was it your, the death of your father? Was that the catalyst or was there, was there something else in addition to that? Yeah, it, well, it was the death of my father was really what prompted me to take action. But even before that, um, it, 2011, things kind of just came to a head in my life. I had limped through life for 12 years. I was at a job that I, I hated, Richard, with every fiber of my being. And I don't like to use the word hate, but I hated it. I, I think about it today and I, and I hate it. <laughs> so uh, I did that for 12 years. Um, I had gained the weight. My relationship uh, wasn't where it should be. My wife and I were separated. We were $180,000 in debt. And in 2011, everything just kind of came crashing down on my head. The uh, the creditors and the IRS were taking oh, wow. any cent that I put in my bank account. They snatched it before I could even look at it. Um, my wife and I were separated and the weight was out of control. And at that point, I knew that something needed to be done. I just didn't know how to do or what to do it. So I sat there in the living room of my friend's house, Richard, just crying because I didn't know what else to do. And it was, it was just, I didn't know what else to do. And after a good cry and a few days of, of really thinking about this, um, and, um, and I'm a Christian too. So after kind of reconciling my relationship with Jesus and, and praying and stuff like that, I, I don't know what kind of show you is. So I, don't, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn here, Richard, no, but, um, I, after that, I said, I got to do something. I got to put a plan in place. And so that's what 2011 was, was all about, was about putting that plan in place to get from where I was to the life that I wanted to be. And so all those circumstances come and crash in out of my head. That was really the, the catalyst for wanting to do this. And then my father dying was just kind of like the slap wake up call, like, okay, you need to get really serious about this. 
I just can't imagine, man. One hundred eighty thousand dollars in debt. You're in a job that you hate. You're separated from your wife. Was was it was the the challenge in the marriage? And again, I I can relate to this because I was in a similar situation with with my marriage too. And and it was kind of my splat moment that said, okay, what are we going to do to start changing things? How do you even start the first step to recover from being that far in debt? having a marriage that, that was on the rocks near divorce and having no relationship with your kids. I mean, what, did, what was the first thing that you did? Uh, first thing I did after I cried <laughs> was I, um, I called my wife and I said, can we have a meeting, sat down and just talked it all out. Um, we didn't get back together that day or move back in that day. But I said, look, this is where we're at is where I'm at. This is where I want to be. And I'm letting you know, I'm not messing around anymore. I'm going to do whatever it takes to win your love and trust back. And so that was the first thing. And she said cautiously, if, if that happens, you know, then we can work this out. Um, so that was step one. <laughs> then step two was kind of the money aspect of it because money was a lot of that, the problems that we had. So it was a matter of calling the IRS and negotiating a payment, um, calling some of my creditors, negotiating a payment, and then working more. So even though I hated this job, Richard, I realized I need some money. So I started taking on some side hustles. I started doing odd jobs around my neighborhood, like cutting grass and washing people's cars and cleaning houses. I started doing whatever it took to, to make some extra money. And all that extra money came, went and started to, to pay off this debt. Um, and so that was kind of step two. Step three was really establishing a good support group, which is uh, my brother and two of my friends and said, look, I need some accountability here. I need somebody to talk me off the ledge when I feel like jumping. Would you guys be that group? So putting that support together, it just helped me um, for so many different times when I wanted to give up along the way. But that's that's one thing that I did right away. And then it was a matter of just doing this stuff every day, um, working the odd jobs, working on the relationships, uh, working on getting out of the job that I hated, but just taking consistent action every day. Well, you know, this is amazing too, that all this, this isn't that long ago. Here we are in 2015. I mean, we're talking four years ago, right? I mean, this is what I just find so uh, inspirational for everybody, myself and for everybody out there is that this wasn't that long ago, right? No, no. It, it seems like just yesterday. And that's a testament to, to how fast time flies. I mean, I can still remember what it feels like to be on that bread truck. <laughs> I, can <laughs> I can still imagine. remember what snow feels like. I see um, Wisconsin's getting pounded by snow and cold right now. I still remember what that's like. I mean, I go outside and I forget pretty quickly, but um, I still remember what that's like. I still look at my wife and just Think about some of those times, not try, not dwell on them, but think about them. So yeah, it was not long ago, but um, life is, is short and I determined to make those changes and now we, we're, pretty, we're in a pretty good place. Well, and you're, you always had a dream of being a writer and so let's talk about that. I mean, that was something that, you know, you probably had a lot of uh, doubts and said, I, I don't belong in this space, how am I going to do it? But at some point you made the decision to, to self-publish a book. Tell me about that journey and was it a success or was it a, a flop? Yeah, I always loved to write from as far back as I can remember. I remember being in second grade and writing love letters to girls. So maybe that <laughs> was my motivation to start writing. But 
I, I love to write. And then when I got older, um, I turned 17 and my parents, I grew up in a pretty strict home, very deeply religious home. Um, and we weren't allowed to watch TV. We weren't allowed to date. We weren't allowed to do a lot of things that um, normal teenagers do. And then unfortunately, it, it turned into an abusive situation um, where myself and my brother and sisters were, were abused. And at 17, um, I had to escape. I didn't think I could survive. So I left home at 17. Wow. And I was homeless for uh, six months. I lived on the street. I lived on friends' couches. And at that point, I had to get a job to survive, Richard. Uh, so I started working at Burger King. Uh, and I worked, ended up working at a cleaning crew. I had two, two jobs and at one point, three jobs just to survive. And um, I'm living on the streets. I'm working these jobs. I'm trying to get myself out of a hole. And the one thing that ended up getting sacrificed was high school. I was still in high school and I was trying to finish high school, but I couldn't do it. So I, I ended up dropping out of high school. And um, shortly after that, when I turned uh, 17 and a half, um, I met my wife working at Burger King. And we were married three months after I met. Wow. Um, we started to get our, our lives in order. Uh, we got a place got everything where it was, we were beyond survival mode. And then, uh, sh she told me, she's like, look, you got to go back and you got to finish this. So I went back and I got my GED, but, um, somebody who dropped out of high school and who went through all that, I gave up on writing. <laughs> I, right. Writing wasn't even on my mind. I was just thinking about surviving. And it wasn't until 2011 when I was going through all of this, uh, that I wanted to journal what was in my mind. And I wanted to get out of my mind and somewhere, and I didn't feel comfortable talking to people. So I just started journaling that summer. And that journal, um, at the end of that summer, I realized I had a lot of material in that thing. And that's what ended up becoming my first self-published book, which is called Tales of the Everyday Working Man and Woman. And that's just about what the average everyday worker goes through and the struggles and, and the journey to create more in their life. And that's when I rediscovered my love of writing again. And I told myself, even though I was a high school dropout, um, I did get the GD, but I always felt like, who am I to write? I'm a high school dropout. Who am I to write and yeah. tell anybody anything? And then my grammar, that's one thing that people were quick to point out when I first started writing was, you know, your grammar is terrible and this doesn't look good and this is wrong. And there was all those things that I had to overcome. But at some point I had to realize that this isn't about me. <laughs> this writing is not about me. The message is not about me. And I need to stop being selfish and mm. thinking about myself and worried about how I look and how I'm perceived. And I need to focus on those who I'm writing for. I need to focus on the person who is where I was. That's who I'm writing for. That's where my focus should be. Everything else it doesn't even matter. And so once I got to that place, Richard, that's when I really became a writer. You know, that is such a critical insight that is that is so critical to everybody's journey. I don't care what you're trying to do, being an entrepreneur, if you're you know working in a major corporation, if you're trying to be a leader, um, a parent, whatever it is, the moment you stop focusing on yourself, the moment you start adding value to other people's lives and don't expect anything returned, that's when your wants and needs get exponentially returned to you. I mean, I'm a firm believer in that. And that's exactly kind of the epiphany of what I'm hearing that you experienced, right? Exactly. Oh, it's a beautiful, man. It's, what an amazing story, Kamazi. I don't know, you know, so you wrote a second book or what, is your, was your second one, um, Are You Living or Existing? Was that your second book? 
Yeah, that was my second book. It was originally called um, The Difference Between Living and Existing, A Nine-Month Plan to Change Your Life. And um, that book, both of those books had done well. In 2012, I had figured out a little bit about the internet and marketing and getting your books out there. And both of those books by that point had sold, mid-2012, had sold like a little over 40,000 copies. Um, I was starting to pick up a little bit of steam. And at that point, when the book started selling, I started getting offers from publishers. And it just so happened that that year I went to Experts Academy, Brendan Bouchard's Expert Academy. Yeah, right. Um, and while I was at dinner, I was sitting there talking to a person that I didn't know. And I'm rambling on, telling him my story, telling him about the books and how good the books had done. And at the end of the conversation, he said, hey, I'm Nathan. I'm the publisher at Sound Wisdom. And we, we took it from there and, and ended up signing with Sound Wisdom. And in May of 2013, they took that that second self-published book. They retitled it. They edited and made it sound really, made me sound really smart. <laughs> and that, that book came out in May of 2013 as a traditionally published book. Oh, awesome. And so um, that, that right there as a writer was my absolute dream come true. That's an awesome story. And then so now you've got the momentum. You've got the, hey, I do belong in this space feeling, right? I mean, so now you're like, you're excited. You're starting to see a little income from your efforts. Then um, tell me about your latest book. You just got a book deal with a good friend of yours, Jared Easley, a guy that you and I both know and friends with. And talk to me about that. Yes. <laughs> so I have a four book deal with Sound Wisdom. And um, I've given them one, so I have three more. And I had started, I had this idea in my head because um, I'm in the this online space. And one thing that I've seen, and I guess this could apply to any business situation that you're in, but one thing that we're always told is we should connect with somebody at the top of our industry, an influencer. And those people have the ability to, if we can connect with them, they'll share whatever we're doing and we'll just blow up. It's kind of like the Oprah effect, right? Right. If Oprah shares what you're doing, you're, you're going to be rich. But um, it doesn't quite work that way in the online world because nobody has pull like Oprah does. <laughs> right. But you're told to connect with somebody at the top and it's just the fastest way to your success. And after years of trying to myself, um, but more than that, just thinking about somebody who is starting out and they think, let me connect with this person at the top. And the problem is everybody else is thinking that also. So like I, I interviewed Chris Gillibo one time, who's a New York Times bestselling author, and he said he gets 350 emails a day. Yeah. And I'm guessing a lot of those emails are, hey, Chris, I'd love to connect with you. I'd love your thoughts on this. I'd love to. Just people trying to connect with trying to connect with the influencer. So when all those people are trying to do the same thing, you're told to be persistent, to do work for free. There's all these things you're told. But honestly, um, connecting with an influencer wasn't a key to my success. And I don't think it's a key to anybody's success. If you can do it, great. You can find somebody, an influencer to mentor you. That's, that's great. That's wonderful. Um, but honestly, you don't need that. You can do it on your own. You can build influence on your own. You can build your business on your own. And so that was kind of a thought that was in my head. And I talked to our friend Jared about this. And I said, I have an idea for a book called Stop Chasing Influencers. And he loved it. Like he ate it up and he started talking about some of his own experiences. And we kind of went back and forth just talking about this uh, for a while. And uh, we kind of both came to mutual conclusion. We're like, why don't we co-write this book? And so um, we co-wrote this book. 
I mean, we we put a lot of good stuff in this book, Richard. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> like it's it, great it could be a textbook. Yeah. And when we got done, we we're thinking, what do we want to do with this thing? Do we want to self-publish this? Do we want a hybrid? We there were some uh, agents that were literary agents that were talking to us about this. And Jared said, you know, I like the work that Sound Wisdom has done with you. Let's see if they'll they're willing to offer um, us a separate deal from the deal that you have. Um, so we went to Sound Wisdom. We showed them the book. We kind of told them the plan for marketing this book. And um, we went through the process. And lo and behold, um, we ended up signing a book deal with them. And it's uh, the book's going to come out later this year. Um, it's something that, man, I feel so strongly about. I, I know Jared does as well. But I'm excited. I'm excited to, to walk in the bookstore again with Jared. and Because there's no greater feeling as a writer to walk in a bookstore and see your book. I know there's going to be some that disagree, but to me personally, I just love going in there and seeing that book in there. And just from where I came from to where I'm now, it's just that book in the bookstore is um, uh, just a little symbol of that journey. No, it's a great book. And I'm, and I'm so proud of and happy that you guys are, have, have done this. And, you know, I, I read it before you got the deal and it's, there's chock full of information. Of course, it speaks uh, to guys like myself who have these side hustles and are trying to get noticed in this noisy world. And a lot of times uh, what people don't see behind the scenes, just how frustrating it can be because there are, you know, I don't know how many millions of websites there are, millions of blogs and, um, and how many podcasts there are. And they're not that many, but man, they're just, it's, it's hard to get noticed. And it's not about, again, it's not about, yourself or me personally or the individual it is about adding value to other people but at some point you do want to start um hopefully the dream is to become financially free doing some of this work and um your book your and jared's book is really speaks to hey there are other ways to do it it, it is a lonely road but we there's a ton of us like that that's been there and so i really appreciate uh, that you guys have, have brought this to the market yeah i think there's a lot of people that well we know this because people have told us they, they want this um, and they're going through it and they're frustrated. And um, I think the thing to understand is that there's no overnight successes. Um, even the people at the top of industry, they weren't overnight successes right. either. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> but we want what we want when we want it. Right. So um, I, I think this book is, is definitely going to help. It's going to open some eyes and I'm excited to share the message. You know what I love about you and, uh, this is why I think it resonates is because you're not, I think you realized early on that, you know, I'm going to put this down. If I read, this is who I am. The authenticity, the vulnerability, um, that is such a critical element to, I think anybody's success, not just talking about success in, in the online space, but just in life. Right. I mean, this whole idea of leadership, which what the show is about is, I mean, leadership is easy to understand, but I think it's difficult because of the courage, the authenticity and the vulnerability that that is required to be a successful leader. And you can replace the word leader with entrepreneur, husband, father, community, uh, you know, citizen of the community and so on. What do you, what do you think when you hear that? Um, I think it's pretty wild. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's, I guess what I'm going at is you are, maybe you don't know it or not, but are you conscious about that, that how powerful authenticity and, and vulnerability can be? Yeah. Um, I think that it's hard to share. Um, it's still even hard for me to share, but because what we normally see is what we normally see is the guarded, um, 
perfect portrait view of, of people. Right. We want to put our best foot forward. So when you see somebody that's willing to say, Hey, um, I put my best foot forward and then I fell over. <laughs> when, when we see that, that's what stands out even more. Um, and, and it's wild because we, we all know that nobody, we see the, the stuff and we all know that nobody has a perfect life like that. Right. So why hide it? Why hide it? Just, you know, be honest, tell people what you're going through. Don't be afraid to be vulnerable. And you're so, and the thing that surprised me the most is how many people have emailed and, and sent messages and said, me too. I'm going through that. Thank you for putting that out there. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's what I love about, again, I love, that's what I love what you do on your site with the books, everything. And I know it's a testament to, to your success. You know, kind of a, a fun question as we wrap up here. I'm always curious about who people's heroes are. And if you had the, the one night to have the ultimate dinner party and you could invite five people alive or dead, who would those people be and why? Uh, well, I would start with Dan Miller. Um, his book, 48 Days of yeah, Work You Love, great. was the first book that I read when I decided I was going to do something about this. And I read that book in two hours. I just devoured it. Um because that book showed me that it was possible in my mind. It just, it gave me a mindset shift. So he, yeah, he's going to go on the list. Could you imagine uh, if you could map Dan Miller's, um, if you could draw a line with every kind of influence that he's mat, you know, made in the last five to 10 years, you know, could you imagine what that would look like? I mean, he, it'd be insane, oh, wouldn't it? That guy has influenced and caused more people to, you know, live their dreams. I mean, I can't think of any, to be quite honest. I mean, and, and he's kind of a, I think he's, he's well known for people like us, you know what I mean? But yep. I mean, he has impacted a lot of lives and he probably doesn't even realize how many lives he's impacted. No. And he does it quietly behind the scenes and he kind of marches to his, yeah. to the beat of his own drum. Yeah. Great choice. Great choice. All right. So that's the so, one. Yeah. Dan Miller is going to be, um, number one, uh, number two, um, is going to be number two is going to be Stephen King. <laughs> oh, I love it. Stephen King. Huh? Yeah. Why that? Because of just what he, how he's influenced my writing, not, not because I write fiction, but because of how much he writes the, the schedule, the productivity, the style, um, just uh, studying his writing and then reading his books on writing and his interviews and what he said as writing has greatly influenced my writing to what it is today. If you could read the original version of Tales of, of Work and then read uh, like the book that Jared and I just turned in, um, it's vastly different. And that's <laughs> definitely because of his influence. Right. Oh, that's a great choice. That's an interesting choice. Stephen King. Yeah. One of my f favorite books of all time. I've read it in seventh grade was the stand. And I just, I still, I, I'll never forget that summer. I just was in, in, immersed in the book, the stand. Yeah. Isn't it, isn't it crazy? Yeah. Yeah. So Stephen King is number two. Okay. Um, number three, uh, I'm going to say Martin Luther King Jr. Ah, great choice. Um, and I'm thinking because, well, because he is who he is. <laughs> so, right. So there's no question about that. But even uh, somebody who has gone through incredible struggle and still push forward anyways, despite the obstacles and the perseverance, and even as a speaker, 
um, some, a speaker, I, you know, I speak for a living. Um, I would love to just, cause he's given some incredible speeches. Oh I love gosh, to just yeah. sit and talk with him about speaking <laughs> and, and get some tips there. So I hope that doesn't sound incredibly selfish. No, not at all. I mean, the guy was just, you know, what's amazing too, is like he, he was 39 when he died and it just seems like when you look pictures at him, you think it's, this is somebody that was in his fifties. This is a guy that never made it into his forties, you know? And then that, isn't that amazing when you think about that, how much he's, he accomplished in that short lifespan. Oh man, it's it's amazing to think about that, and it's a little ping at you, like get I know, to work. Right? Get to work. What have you done? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so Martin Luther King Jr. Number three, um, number four. I'd be remiss if I didn't say this, but number four is going to definitely be Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. I'm loving yes. this party, man. This is a great party. Taylor Swift. Okay, why? Yeah, so, well, people that have heard me in interviews, and like when Jared, our buddy Jared, hears this, he's going to say, why didn't you make her number one? Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm a huge fan for a lot of reasons. Um, I love the way that she writes music. I feel like she takes into exactly what you're talking about, that vulnerability, that I'm not perfect. This is who I am, and this is my life, and it's messy. And she's not afraid to put out there. I feel like she's an innovator. She tries different things. Um, she stands up for what she believes. You know, just recently her album came out and she pulled it off of Spotify because she doesn't agree with what streaming services are paying music artists. She pulled her entire catalog off out of there. You know, who does that? Right. Um, she knows how to deal with the critics and there's plenty of critics out there. Um, she's a smart business person um, and, and she's young. So who, that's, that's another thing. She, she's young. So who knows what she's going to do by the time she's my age or, or even older. But yeah, there's, there's many reasons. I'd yeah, love you know, to sit and chat and have dinner with her. A great choice. You know, in fact, I was just driving home and I was, uh, one of her songs was on, we were listening to Sirius Satellite Radio and I was like, yeah, you know, I just can't think of anybody who is such a powerhouse as she is right now. I mean, everything she does is just, you know, top notch. And she's doing it in, like you said, I think she's, she's doing it in a very authentic way that is was quite refreshing, despite all the detractors out there. I mean, she's just, she is who she is. And um, I, you think back, I mean, she's just been a powerhouse since like 2003 and, and before and on, right? I mean, everything she's doing... Well Nobody knows that. Most people don't know that when she was just getting started in, in the music business, she did things way different than they were done. She would, uh, when her first CD was going to come out, she would go to radio stations in and around Nashville and other places. And she would go right, right there to the door. She'd come with ho homemade baked cookies and give it to the host and ask the host if she could play him a song out there in the hallway while he's eating the cookies, him or her eating cookies. And the host would usually like it and they'd bring her on air. And that's what she did for wow. all these stations to get her music out there. And when she had concerts, wherever they were, she connected with their fans. She would go there and hug them and shake their hands and talk to them and get to know them. And that's something that she does even today. Oh, that's great. All right. Good choice. I'm loving this party. Who's your last one there? Yeah. So number five, man, I've been, <laughs> you really put me on the spot. Yeah, with this is a tough but, question. Um, it's fun though. Yeah, it is fun. So number five, um, let me think about this one. Number five, I'm gonna say, um, I'm gonna say my, I'm gonna say my grandfather. Oh, I love it. Yeah, he he passed away last month um, at 87. He lived a, a good long life, but 
my parents were divorced when I was uh, younger, when I was like two years old. So my father wasn't around, my mom remarried. And despite that, my grandfather still was involved in our lives. Um, he would come to every party. He would always send gifts. He would always call. But I honestly don't feel like, you know, every time we talked, he wanted to know about me or he wanted to know about my kids or my wife. He didn't talk about him. It was always about me. And, you know, I love talking about me, which is a problem. <laughs> um, and I do know a lot about him, but there's so much more that I want to know about him. Oh, yeah, um, and, and so many things that I didn't, didn't get to know. And when you're growing up that your parents are divorced and he's reaching out and I wish I would have made more of an effort to connect with him. Um, especially during some of those years when things were just kind of crazy, i didn't really call him. You know, I'd call him once in a blue moon. And so I wish I would have took more time. And if I had another chance, I sit down and say, Hey, um, we're going to talk, but I'm not telling you anything about myself. This is going to be all about you. And just tell me about your life. And I know he did some cool things. He, he backpacked in Europe for, for 10 months and he did it on $600. Yeah. He stayed in hostels and police stations. He even met the Pope on that trip. Wow. So I want to know more about that. He was here. He was served in World War II. He was here in Hawaii before it was Hawaii. Right. When it was just nothing, you know, just, it was just nothing. And so I want to hear about that. And I want to hear about his experiences in the service. So he would definitely have to be on that list. Great choice. I love this party. Dan Miller, Stephen King, Martin Luther King Jr., Taylor Swift, and Kamanzi's grandfather. I hope you'd let me pull up a chair and at least listen to the conversation. I promise I won't intrude, but that would be a great party. Yeah, it'd be it'd be very cool. <laughs> well, Kamanzi, you are a great guy. I love your stuff. Tell me how tell the audience and my listeners how they can find you, reach out to you, and connect with you. Uh, you can head to KamanziConstable.com. That's K-I-M-A-N-Z-I-C-O-N-S-T-A-B-L-E. You can Google it um, and you'll get close because there's not that many Kamanzi Constables. Or you could head to LivingOrExistingBook.com. That will redirect you to the site. Yeah, there's so many things we didn't even touch on. I'd love to have you back on the show at some point. I mean, there's the Good Men Project. You write for the Huffington Post occasionally, Entrepreneur, Mind, Body, Green. And you've got these books, uh, the great books already coming out and a brand new one coming out. I'll have links to all this on the on the post when we get it posted. Kamanzi, thank you for coming on the show. This was fun. Thanks for having me. I'm a fan of yours, Richard, as you know, and I'm a fan of the show. And I hope somebody uses this to either realize that it's possible or they take action. Amen. Right on, brother. We'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com. <music>